solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Texas. There's still a great deal we don't know about the situation. What we do know is this. We know that when one Jew is hurting, we all feel the pain. That's what it sounded like on the weekend when the president of Ottawa's Jewish Federation, Andrea Friedman, and members of the city's Jewish community gathered on Zoom to pray for the safety of the hostages in a Texas synagogue. They and Jews around the world watched in anguish all Saturday as the FBI negotiated with the armed gunmen holding the Reform Rabbi at the Beth Israel Synagogue in Coleyville, Texas, hostage, along with three other people. And while Ottawa recited Psalms, that happened as well in Vancouver at the Sharetzedek Synagogue, where they held an emergency Tehillim session online. Meanwhile, Jewish communities from Vancouver to Edmonton to Ottawa and Toronto and Montreal got in touch with their local police forces, who have pledged to step up their patrols around Jewish buildings for a while. But what impact does this latest U.S. attack on Jews have in the long term as Jewish schools in Ontario and Manitoba and Quebec reopen for in-person learning Monday, while schools in B.C. and Alberta and elsewhere have already been open for a few weeks? Will the schools be safe? This security expert says Jewish schools in Canada are pretty safe, but they should start conducting safety drills for active shooters this week. I'm the least worried about security of Jewish institutions during the high holidays, for example, because everybody is at their, on their toes, waiting, ready. Everybody hired guards, everybody trained, everybody's watching. What worries me the most is a random Tuesday afternoon when everybody goes back to normal, everybody's back to being complacent. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, January the 17th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Adam Cohen has been advising Canada's Jewish community about security for a dozen years. The Israeli-trained expert now runs his own private security firm in Montreal, called Perceptage International. His staff are the ones who guard Jewish institutions, including Bialik High School, the Jewish General Hospital, some long-term care homes, and some religious schools in Toronto, too. But before that, Cohen also worked as the National Director of Security for CJA, the Centre for Israel and Jewish Affairs, and for Montreal's Jewish Federation. CJA is now calling on the federal government to give Canada's Jewish community more money to hire permanent security guards and for year-round training, and not just on the high holidays. And that's Adam Cohen's big worry. Because while most of the reported incidents in Canada against Jewish buildings have involved ordinary days and have been vandalism and graffiti like the one a year ago this week in January of 2021 when a man sprayed swastikas on Montreal's Shar Shemaim synagogue and while well, he was quickly caught thanks to an alert guard, it could have been worse. Police found him nearby with a canister full of gasoline. Coming up, Adam Cohen will be here to unpack the hostage-taking in Texas and what lessons should be learned by Canada's Jewish institutions. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. Hi, I'm Rabbi Ruben Pupko in Montreal, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. Canada's oldest person, Cecile Klein, has died at the age of 114. Her funeral was held Sunday in Montreal. In June, we reported on Mrs. Klein's milestone birthday. At that time, the mayor of Cote St. Luke held a party for her and her family, and the link to our interview is in our show notes, and you can listen if you missed it. 
Mrs. Klein was very independent, even after she turned 100. She lived in her own house. She went on a cruise to Alaska. And then in 2017, she fell and broke her pelvis, and she wasn't able to get around as much on her own, so she moved into the Maimonides Geriatric Center. We know she read the Canadian Jewish News faithfully. She lived through the Spanish flu, the First and Second World Wars, and had been fully vaccinated for COVID. Mrs. Klein had three children, a half a dozen grandchildren, and more great-grandchildren than I can list here. Our sincere condolences go out to her family. Adam Cohen's phone has been buzzing all weekend as he watched the Texas hostage-taking unfold. He joins me now from Montreal. These are the kinds of scenarios that you keep you awake at night and keep Jewish community in Canada leaders awake at night, right? So when you heard about this, what went through your mind? So the first thing that goes through my mind is is what we call the, 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 the attack cycle. The attack cycle is something that any wrongdoer would do prior to an attack, which is choosing a site, observing the site, sometimes even doing an exercise or two, without people that are going to be attacked or even aware of it in a sense of like they will try and enter the place and exit it a couple of times in their head imagining and mimicking what will their attack look like what will be the best path to take to get the maximum number of of, of victims or casualties and why is this so important for me is that many times i tell institutions constantly be aware of your environment because you never know who's watching you good people I will drop my kid in a Jewish day school. I know that because it is a Jewish day school, there's more threats. So if I drop my kid at that school and everybody is so nice and welcoming and friendly, I'm not happy at the end of the day because I'm saying if they're friendly to everyone, they're friendly to the bad guy that's going to put my kid in jeopardy. At the same time, when I go and drop my kid in a school where I see that everybody's tough, everybody's watched, every action is watched, I know I'm feeling comfortable because I know that it's well protected. And we have had so many situations in the past where an attacker was caught alive so that we could interrogate them after. And they would tell that, yes, before carrying their attack or launching it, they spent days and days training, uh, doing what you call dry exercises of entering the place and living and seeing. So it's very important to never take anything for granted. And that's what I tell my institutions all of the time. I tell them two things. A, be aware of your environment. And second of all, when you are patrolling, when you are talking to people, do it in an exaggerated way, almost like theatrical, because you never know again who's watching you. And maybe there's a bad person somewhere watching you, seeing your actions that you're doing a bit more exaggerated, and they're saying to themselves, you know what? I'll look for another target. Now, I tell every institution, you want to be the hardest one. You want to convince the bad guy, don't come to me, go somewhere else. Now, if enough of us will convince that bad guy to go somewhere else, they will eventually be caught. They will do a mistake. And that's where it all comes about, about us being in charge of ourselves. It's way beyond any fancy technological systems that we can install. It starts by, by, by us, by, by, by our behavior uh, and, and being vigilant and alert. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit. The, the Canadian government, the Jewish community, since you've been advising them for years now, yeah. um, everybody's getting these uh, cameras and buzzers and fencing and better light. Not everybody, but a lot has mm-hmm. ramped up over the last few years, right? Yes. Um, I, you were quoted as saying, you can't wear two seatbelts. Everybody's already done it. So what are you saying is that it's not the gear, it's the training that people need to do? You need, you need both. 
let's say you hire a security company. Let's say you hire the best security company. Let's say all the agents are all Navy SEALs. They do not know who belongs to your synagogue and who doesn't belong, right? They could be um, racially profiling, right? Which is a no-no, but they could still be doing that. But for a Navy SEAL, a Sephardic Jew that hasn't shaved in a week or somebody who comes from the Middle East with some sort of, um, of a radical view to go and, and cause damage at synagogue, for that Navy SEAL, he can't make so much of a difference. For that Navy SEAL, he doesn't know if the person idling in a car watching them is a bad guy planning something, or maybe it is the father of a kid waiting for him to finish his Torah lesson to pick him up. But for a member of that synagogue, who knows, maybe a retired person that finished their job and, you know, they're kind of bored being at home all day long. But that retired person who grew up in that synagogue, who grew up in that neighborhood, he knows everybody. He knows who belongs and who doesn't belong to his street. Then that volunteer, with the help of a security company, with the help of a security guard, is the perfect combination because that retired person could come and say to the, to the muscle, to the guard, to the younger guard, hey, go check this, hey, go check that. And that's where it's so important to have that full involvement of the community um, and it has to be done locally institution by institution now the equipment of course the equipment is important but the equipment that is actually critical is not as expensive as we think it is what do i want really to secure my place right to make it to delay as much as possible and to deter as much as possible the bad guy so if i have doors or to have good locks and i have glass windows with film on it that's already a delay to somebody to come in. Now, if I have a panic button or an announcement system to tell everybody, hey, me, the person outside is struggling with a, with a potential intruder, in the meantime, go and hide. They will go to every room and lock themselves inside. A door lock is, again, it's cheap. Some stuff can be installed by, by the janitor of the institution. You can buy that at any home home convenience, home, home uh, you know, hardware store. Yeah. So, so that's where it's more important. Now, if you have extra budget and you want to bring those fancy cameras that can recognize a fly on the moon, go ahead and do it. Why not? Another thing that now is being more and more uh, readily available, and I think the Texas situation yesterday was a great emphasis on that. Most institutions have cameras. So there's cameras. The prices of cameras in the last 10 years went down enormously. So even Orthodox synagogues that observe the Sabbath at 100%, they could have cameras inside their institutions that are so-called dormant. And then if there is a panic button being pressed from that institution, law enforcement will have a URL address that they just log in and they see everything that's happening inside. And yes, as the incident was a perfect example for that because there was, there was a terrorist, there were hostages, and everybody came out alive because the cops knew what they're dealing with. So all that to say is that Community involvement and practice, 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 practice. And, and, and you said right what I said about, about seatbelt. You know, many times you go to, I, I speak to institutions and, and when I mention training for an active shooter or a terrorist, an active shooter could be anything, Elaine, by the way. You know, we, as, as Jews, we're very, we're sensitized for an act of terror against us, but it could be other things. It could be, it could be a neighbor with mental illness. It could be a member of our own community with, um, I don't know, a, a bad divorce. It, it could be anything. Sometimes when I go and talk to institutions about, guys, you need to train, you need to prepare, they almost don't want to listen to me. They, they, it's almost as if they're afraid that if they're going to prepare for something, they're jinxing themselves. So it's a training to be aware, to train, to, to make it fun, to make it competitive between classrooms. That's what I used to do here in the community in Montreal and in Toronto. 
I'd have competition between the classrooms. The kids, at a certain point, they got desensitized to the fact of why they're doing it. The kids don't even need to understand why they're doing it. Well, let's you bring that point up. Let's talk about it. On Monday, thousands of Jewish children are going back to school in person. Parents are really worried. Not only do they have to worry about COVID spread, which is one problem, but now this is weighing on their minds. So what do we say to parents and kids? How are schools... How did you advise schools? So I'm sure those kids coming to school on Monday morning not only have that stress of the COVID and everything, all the, the psychological impacts on kids for the last two years because of COVID, but now they have an additional uh, uh, stress of everything they've heard at home since Saturday night about how much in danger we are as Jewish institutions. So first thing I think is the most important for the first two, three days of coming back to school is for teachers not to avoid the conversation, to actually have that conversation, of course, given the age of those kids and their maturity and how to talk to them about it, but making them feeling a bit safer and calmer, but then starting to exercise. So yes, we will not become Navy SEALs overnight, but if we do train with the kids and we do show them that if you do run to that classroom or that bathroom or that office and lock yourself and sit on the floor and wait for a few minutes until the experts arrive, it does work. Visible police presence is being ramped up over the weekend. What are your thoughts on that? Does it work? Is it important? I don't have a set opinion on that. It has the good side. It has the bad side. Um, that's why I'm saying, again, a security guard making 15, 16, 18 bucks an hour standing outside of school. Let's be honest. Their number one worry is how many more hours are left on my shift before I go home. But when you have members of that place protecting their kids, grandkids, relatives, friends that are inside on rotations, that's what's important because they, they're, they're, invested, they're invested by life. Does that exist in Jewish it community ex- institutions in, in Canada? It does exist. It started in Montreal. It started a bit in Toronto. Uh, it's been going on in communities in Europe and in Central, in Jewish communities in Europe and Central America and South America for many, many years. I think people right now are understanding that, you know what, it's not just stuff that happened in Argentina and Buenos Aires or in France or in Britain or, or in other places. It starts, it starts to come closer to home, right? We had uh, where the Tree of Life, now we have Texas. It's starting to get too close. So it took a while to accept that we actually have that problem here. And now, now people are more open to the fact that, like, okay, okay, what can we do now? And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Evelyn Greenberg in Ottawa. She wrote to say she liked our interview with the new Israeli ambassador to Canada, Dr. Ronan Hoffman. And we'll end the episode with a bit of a Canadian angle to the Texas hostage-taking, from Winnipeg Rabbi Cleel Rose. He's a personal friend of the Texas rabbi. Rabbi Rose is with Eitz Chaim Congregation, and he spoke with the CJN news editor, Lila Sarek. Watch for her story on the CJN website. Uh, Charlie Citron Walker is really one of the kindest people I have ever met in my life, and I feel very fortunate. I've met a lot of kind people. He is... uh, you know, obviously this isn't just about him, but uh, it certainly affects him. And uh, it's just thinking there's something so complete, you know, something entirely unfair about, about this situation, given who he is and uh, the level of compassion. And if I know Charlie, I haven't had a chance to speak with him yet, but I've heard um, 
through friends who, who were much closer to him and, and his family, uh, you know, that he, he's doing well, but obviously, you know, uh, how do you get over something like this? Uh, it's not possible. My, my point is that if I know Charlie, he was there just providing, uh, you know, being a pastoral presence to everybody, including the person who is holding them hostage. That's just his personality. Mm-hmm.